podcast. We hope you find these messages helpful during this Advent season. Let's dive in together and make room for Jesus. Let every heart prepare him room. Thanks for joining us. Let's begin. I'm going to do something that, to be honest with you, I'm a little nervous about. Simply because normally I have time to prepare I have time to really dwell in the message that the Lord gives, and then I have full knowledge of what I'm going to say. But today is not the case. (laughs) Not that I didn't have time to prepare, not that I didn't have um, time to uh, to dive in and really think about what I'm going to say today, but for some reason the Lord kept hitting the brakes on whatever it is that I had planned. And so what I'm going to share with you today is something that I personally um, would prefer to skip over, and you'll see why. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. You can follow along with me on the screens, but Matthew chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, you will notice the title of that header. The header there is, is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It is very easy to look at this and say, I'm going to skip over that, right? That's exactly what I would like to do, but I think the Lord has a very important message for us today, and I'll tell you what, at, as much as I would like to look over this or to over, you know, just not really take my time here, I can't. There's something very important here, and I want to share it with you. Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 18 says this, and bear with me because this is really hard for me to read all these Hebrew names, okay? It says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ to the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David the king. Take a deep breath. It continues. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Jeram. And Jeram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation of Babylon. Doing good so far, yeah? There's another series of generations here. Verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Elikim. 
And Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Hallelujah. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, how many? 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. That's very interesting, isn't it? Let me unpack this for you, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word today in this beautiful morning where we're able to come together in anticipation, Father, of your coming. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. Help us be attentive to your word, Lord Jesus, that we would not be bored by it, but be grown by it, Father. Father, help us see your glory in this. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen and amen. Well... As you can see, we're looking at one of the most unlooked passages, perhaps, of the entire New Testament. I'm going to be honest with you, this is the very first time I preach on the genealogy of Jesus. In fact, I don't think I've even taught on it, even in a small group, because it's so easy to say, yeah, skip over that. I want you to know, I practiced reading these names. Okay, these are not easy for me to just say, oh, these are common names. Let me just read the list. Some of them are familiar, like Solomon and David. And so we know those names. But for the most part, I think that we can scratch our heads and wonder who are these people, right? But even though this is a very overlooked passage, even though we're so, so easily tempted without conviction to say, Yeah, let me skip to the actual story of Christmas. Let's go straight to verse 18 of chapter 1. Instead of doing that, the Lord has been showing me something so beautiful here and so important, and I don't want us to miss it. As I had mentioned last week, my wife and I have been doing an Advent Bible study, and it took us to the genealogy. And we've been looking at these people, at these names that you see in this section, which are broken up in three different Uh, sections of generations of 14. And the reason for it, it just blows my mind. You see, this is not an ordinary genealogy. This is a messy one. You think about your genealogy, you think about your family tree. Ancestry.com is super popular nowadays. People have uh, uh, quite the the, uh, interest in knowing where they come from, you know what I mean? But when you are actually writing a genealogy, and this is according to history, a genealogy that actually presents a king, I'll tell you what, this one is an ugly one. This one is not a good one because there's a lot of names there that you don't want in your genealogy. In fact, there's a lot of Brunos, if you, to- if you know what I mean, and we don't talk about Bruno. No, 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 we don't talk about Bruno. Nobody likes Bruno. Anytime we think of Bruno, we think of, I wish he wasn't in my family. How many of you, and you can answer if you'd like, How many of you guys have family members that you just wish weren't? Yeah? 
you know, what we see here in this genealogy is a bunch of Brunos, a bunch of people that you wouldn't want in the genealogy, especially of a king. There's a long list of messy names. And what's so interesting about this genealogy is that Matthew, the tax collector, intentionally included these names. So the question is, why? Why, Matthew? Why did you bring up names that we just don't want to talk about? There's a lot of people here that we really actually intentionally should outcast. We should push them away. We don't want them near us because it brings a bad light into us. See that selfish, mindless thinking. But Matthew says, no, you need to see what the Lord has done to bring forth the Christ. And I think that there's a very encouraging message here. And I'm so excited to share it with you guys. Because as I mentioned, this is something that I have not really got into in the past. And now as I'm going through the study, and now as I'm looking at this genealogy of Jesus, I'm actually beginning to see the love of God. The love of God in a way that I had not seen before. You see, God loved us in a way that was so undeserving. If you look at these names, each one of those people was actually a screw-up. Yeah, there's a few names there that you would actually be proud for them to be part of your genealogy, like Abraham and David, these patriarchs. They were very famous and popular men, weren't they? If, if I was a direct descendant of these guys, I'd probably be proud of that. But then there's some names there you just don't want. But here's the fact of the matter is even Abraham and David weren't always popular. Even them were messy. The fact that they're even in this book is by the grace of God. It is actually an expression of his love for them. It is a story of redemption. It is a story, it's a story of restoration. And it is an expression of his love that by this... By these means, he would bring forth the embodiment of love. And so this is amazing. But the reason why, I think one of the reasons why I overlook this section here, and by the way, do you guys have a favorite gospel? You know, there's four of them, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I would argue that Matthew is maybe my favorite one. I really like the gospel according to Matthew. But I've always had a problem with the introduction of this letter, of this gospel, actually. Because if you look at Mark's gospel, he gets straight to the point. In fact, it, 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 Mark's gospel is, is just like, let's get into it. In fact, he uses the word immediately, I think, 42 times or something like that. Mark, you can tell that Mark's scroll when he's writing his gospel is limited. And so he gets right to the point. And so you just get into it. In fact, you don't even see a Christmas story in the book of Mark. Right? And then you look at Luke, and Luke begins with an honest and personal introduction. He says, this is what the introduction of Luke says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have, that have been accomplished among us, and he goes on and says, I have written an orderly account for you. 
Very eloquent. He certainly aced his writing and grammar class. I'm sure of that. If you know anything about Luke, he was a doctor, well-educated man, very eloquent, very formal, right? Very well expressed. And so I'm intrigued. Then he says the great Theophilus is actually the person he addresses that gospel to. And in John's gospel, he starts with an attention grabber, which is more my style if you want to know. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Okay, I'm in. What are you talking about? You know, that's a good hook. That's a good attention grabber. But we're not looking at Matthew. I mean, excuse me, Mark. We're not looking at, uh, at Luke or John's. We're looking at Matthew. And he says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. If we break those words down, this is what he's saying. The record of the beginning of Jesus. Here it is. Who is Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector. This guy was an official professional. He knew a thing or two about record keeping. You see, his intention here is not to persuade anybody about anything. He is simply documenting facts. That's what he's doing. He's saying, this is the record. Take it or leave it. But I'll tell you what, his audience were Jews, both skeptics and believers. The believers were very interested in this. This validified everything that I believed about Jesus being the Messiah. And the skeptics, what instinctively do is they ask, prove it. Says, show me the evidence. Show me the facts. This is exactly what Matthew's doing. He's just saying, here's the record. Here are the facts. If you take it, God bless you. If you leave it, you're leaving the facts. I love that. That actually gives me goosebumps is the fact that our faith in Jesus Christ is logical. We're not people who have a blind faith. We have so much evidence that backs up our belief. There is so much about Jesus that validifies his position as Messiah, as the Christ. And so the fact that Christmas, we celebrate Christmas, Christmas is the arrival of Jesus. It's a big deal. You know why? Because history, the records show it, that this man is a miracle and he has come. And he's not just a miracle like you would imagine or would say about every baby. This is the embodiment of love in the flesh. And if that does not get you excited, then perhaps you don't understand it fully yet. Let's unpack it some more. And so here's the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And again, how many, how many of you guys would have said, this looks boring if you read this? Yeah, I would say this looks boring. But to Matthew's audience, this was actually very helpful, in fact, very interesting, because Matthew is starting with the big picture here. Do you notice this? He's starting with, boom, big picture. I'm showing you everyone. Everything that you know, everything that your history is, it boils down and it brings forth Jesus the Christ. The big picture is helpful here. Matthew's beginning zoomed out, showing us the grand scheme of things to help us understand the majesty and the value of everything that went forth to prepare the arrival of Jesus. You see, this was so intentional. This was years in the making. This was God's grace and love in the works, and here is the result of that. You know, some people, I would say, are more capable of zooming out while living in the thick of what we call life. Some people are a little bit more optimistic. Some people, when you're in the midst of trial, you can actually zoom out and say, Lord, what are you doing? 
I know that what I'm going through right now or the circumstances that I'm living through right now, I know that these are intentional. I know that these are not accidental. What are you doing? How does this fit in the grand scheme of it all? Some people are more capable of thinking that way than others. And then there's other people, there are other people who do struggle with that kind of uh, processing. And so when they can't see the bigger picture, you know, they, they, they struggle in the sense that they can conclude that their messy lives are worthless, unvaluable. They can conclude to say, there is no meaning for me. There is no purpose in my life. What am I even useful for? I'm such a mess. I'm such a sinner. It would be better that I wouldn't be around. Some people cannot necessarily see the, the hope and, 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 and the value of the trials that life brings. And so Matthew says, here's the big picture so you can see it. There's a point to everything. Before I get in to declare the good news of who Jesus is, I want you to realize there's a lot of people involved here, and every single one was intentionally placed in the genealogy of Jesus. And so Matthew intentionally begins with the big picture. He begins with this genealogy, and not again, not a normal one. This is a very messy one, very unusual. He selects very undesired, undesirable people to be a part of this, but it is a very important piece of the advent of Jesus. This right here is a display of the magnificent love of God. You'll see here that each one of these people have been prepared and positioned intentionally. They have received the forgiveness of God. They have been restored to the degree where now they're honored because they're part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself. And through them, the Lord provided the source of salvation and the embodiment of love through Jesus Christ. These names are not insignificant. These names are very important. Therefore, regardless of what people thought of them in their day, and I promise you and I can show you that many of these were outcast and undesirable people. Therefore, they are no longer outcasts or enemies of God, but now they are children of God, the family, the direct bloodline of Jesus Christ. They are the recipients of God's beautiful gift, and it is pure love. You need to see this. You need to understand that every single one of these people, regardless of what people thought of them, were so important. And let me show you what I mean. Let me show you how these people were intentionally positioned to play a role for the arrival of Jesus. So we're going to look at, think of these three words as I, as, I, as I process this. Positioned, pardoned, and provides. These people were positioned to play a very distinct role for the arrival of Jesus. They were also pardoned for, uh, or forgiven because they would have never been worthy of being part of this uh, genealogy on their own. And yet through them, the Lord provides salvation for, for us all. So the first thing I want to see is the declaration of God's faithfulness, and that's verse 1. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's a declaration of the Lord's faithfulness. What Matthew's saying, God has fulfilled his promise. If you were a Jew, you knew this promise. You understood this. You understood that the Messiah had to be an, a Jew, a Hebrew. And so if you were a son of Abraham, that was you. But the Messiah also had to be a, a direct line or a direct descendant of the royal line of David. And now he's saying 
the son of David as well. In other words, the fulfillment of the Lord's promises are here. And if the claimed Messiah, if the, if the one who was proclaimed to be Messiah was not son of Abraham or son of David, he was in, immediately disqualified. But see, Matthew's audience longed for this day, the day of the fulfillment of the promise of God. And so let me break something down. I'm going to go off script here a little bit because I just feel like what the Lord has for us is so important. Again, think about the fact that Matthew went and started with the grand scheme of it all. And you look at these names, and first of all, you see Abraham. And it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Do you remember Abraham? Abraham was not... an admirable man. In fact, everyone thought he was crazy. The Lord positioned Abraham. He said, go, I'm going to make you and your descendants as numerous as the stars. I'm going to make you a great nation. Leave your homeland, Ur, which he was prospering in. People thought he was insane. People thought he was nuts. His wife thought he was nuts sometimes. And, And the Lord promises him a nation, and he takes matters into his own hands and he takes Hagar, and he bears a son through the woman who, was, who he was not supposed to. You know the story of Abraham. If you don't, it's in Genesis. You know, and, and even though he was disobedient time after time, the Lord restores him. He pardons him, and he provides something beautiful, and that is a son. And he gives him Isaac, the one who would hold the promise. And then Isaac. What do we know about Isaac? Actually, not too much. He seemed to be kind of a quiet character. All we know is that he was supposed to be the sacrifice. Remember that? And all we know is that he probably willingly went. He trusted his father. But here's the thing. The Lord pardoned him from being that sacrifice, and he provided a propitiation, a substitute, a ram who was caught in the thicket. This is Isaac. And then Isaac goes on to have a son, actually, too. Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the younger of the two, and now we have Jacob. Jacob was the very first Bruno you really don't want in your family line. That's Jacob right there. This guy was a mess. His name means hill grabber, but there's also an interpretation, a Hebrew word of speech, let's say, that meant deceiver. That's what that name Jacob meant as well, because he deceived his family. He deceived Isaac, his father. He deceived Esau, his brother. And he deceived Laban, his uncle. This guy, you don't want to talk about him. In fact, let's just kick him out of the family because he's kind of a rascal. This is Jacob. And yet the Lord provides, he positions him to be the one who, who inherits the blessing that was given to Abraham. And he positions him in places where he continues to prosper. And he provides through Jacob over and over. In fact, the 12 tribes come out of Jacob, the 12 of them. And this is where Israel begins because he's given a new name. The Lord provides redemption for this man and he's able to go back home and he's well received and he begins to flourish. But of those 12 sons that he had, who does does Matthew mention here? It's not Joseph. Joseph was probably my favorite one of those sons. It's Judah. Judah? Why Judah? He's not the firstborn, and he's not the baby of the family. He's not Abraham or, or Jacob's favorite. Why Judah? Why this guy? Why did Matthew put Judah in the genealogy of Jesus? Judah's another Bruno. Judah was a mess himself. In fact, it was Judah who said, 
no, 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 let's not sell Joseph. I mean, let's not kill Joseph. Let's sell him and make a promise. That was Judah's idea. And then, and then he says, let's not kill him so that his blood would not be on us, so we would not be responsible for that. Shrugging off responsibility as an older brother. That was Judah. It was Judah who finds and goes and finds a Canaanite wife, a wife that was prohibited by the Lord for him to take, and he takes her. And then he has three sons. And it was him who picks another Canaanite wife for his son named Tamar. And the first son is wicked. The second son is wicked. And the, the third son is too young for Tamar, so he boots her out. He makes her an outcast. Judah is not that great of a person if you think about it. And he then is deceived by Tamar. Do you remember this story? And he ends up picking up Tamar, and she gets pregnant. And Judah is not the right, I would say, a good example to anybody in this case. Like, don't learn from Judah so far, you know? But he goes and says, you know what? She was more righteous than I am. He goes to admit that, that, Ray, that excuse me, Tamar was more righteous than I. He says in Genesis 38, 26, she is more righteous than I. See, T Tamar knew the promises and the importance of continuing the lineage of grace. She knew the promises of God, and she knew that she needed to be a part of this and that the Lord had promised descendants, and so she goes and she does what she had to do. But then something amazing happens is Judah begins to grow, and it is him who tells his father, hey, Joseph, the king of Egypt, is demanding that Benjamin comes with us. I will make sure my life, I will put my life on the line for his safety. So you see that the Lord actually develops him and grows him. And what's interesting is that the, the, uh, the promise of the blessing is actually given to Judah, not any of the other 11 sons. It's to Judah. Genesis 49, 8 through 12 says this, verse 10 specifically reads, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So the reason why Matthew includes Judah is because the promise carries on through him, regardless of his mess. You see, it's not about Judah. It's all about God and what he's able to do with messy lives. That's what it's about. And so Judah and Tamar go and they have babies. I said babies. Was it babies? Yes. No. Yes. They have twins. Sorry, there's a lot of names. I'm trying, trying to keep them straight. They go and they have babies, Perez and <clears throat> Zerah. And Perez continues the lineage, who is the father of Hezron and Hezron, the father of Ram and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz. Who is Salmon? Here's the next guy. We don't, he's one of the two spies that J, uh, Joshua sent to uh, Jericho to figure out whether or not they can take it. He's actually the one and his buddy who was protected by Rahab, who is described as a prostitute. This is Salmon, and Salmon makes a promise to Rahab. Rahab is a lady, that, again, outcast. You don't want her in your bloodline. You don't want to be families, family members with this lady. But yet she did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. She feared God. She knew that God had promised the nation of Israel to them, and she wanted to be a part of that. And she takes them. She receives them. She cares for them. And so Ruth, excuse me, Rahab marries Solomon, which 
essentially give birth to Boaz. Boaz marries Ruth, a Moabite. You don't want Ruth to be part of your family either. In fact, they were despised. Ruth, Moabites, they were despised. In fact, people had license to be uh, rude to these kind of peoples. That's how despised they were. But yet she's redeemed and moved into the family line of Jesus. And, and here's, the, here's the bottom line. I'm going to fast forward here. Then you see all these names. And then after that, you go into this new section, new, new generation, and it's just a list of kings, most of which were terrible. Some of them were good. Most of those kings were terrible. And they essentially cause the exile to Babylon. And then after that, you don't hear about the kings because Babylon wipes them out, essentially. You continue to read a, name, a list of names who were essentially scattered about because of the deportation of Babylon. And here's what's interesting. There's silence. No one's really standing out anymore. And out of here comes Joseph, who is the husband of Mary, who is the mother of Jesus. But I want to zoom out a little bit here, because verse 17 says, all of the generations from Abraham to David were 14. And from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14. And from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. You see how he broke them into three? And I was reading this, and it just hit me. Wow. You see this first section of generations, let's say of generation, <clears throat> they were all men and women who were intentionally positioned first for the covenant and then to carry that out. They're the ones who were intentionally positioned to actually establish the family that the Christ would come from. And then the next section, the section where you see a bunch of names of the kings, they were a mess. And yet the Lord pardons them and uses them to bring forth the Messiah. They were exiled. They were punished for their sin. In fact, the kingdom of Israel is divided here and lost because they were wicked and wretched men, and yet the Lord pardons them by his love and by his grace. And you see the very last portion there? Those are people of provision. And I'll tell you why they're people of provision. Because these people, if it weren't for Esther, the queen, would probably not be in that list. These are, these are the people that were spared by the actions of Esther, the queen in Persia. See, the Lord provided salvation for these people. The Lord is providing a savior every time. He is not going to allow his plans to be swayed. And then through them also, the savior, the Christ is born. And this is how Jesus is born. Now, why am I sharing this with you? Because I think it's important for us to understand something. This is not about them at all. These names... Praise God for them, but it's about the fact that God is able to do incredible things with wretched people, people who aren't deserving. If you think that you have no value in life, I bet you some of these people struggled, like Bathsheba, like David, who messed up, right? Like Solomon, who also was a screw-up, but yet the Lord used them, and he prospered them. And the fact of the matter is that they have a place here in the family of Jesus, and now he's born, and now he's come, and guess what? How many of you guys here are direct descendants of Jews? Anybody here a direct descendant of Hebrews or Jews? I'm not. I would be ousted 
if it weren't for Jesus. I would have no part in his saving grace and his love if it weren't for Jesus. Here's the beautiful thing is because Jesus come, now the salvation that he offers is also available to the Gentile. Now we can be grafted in, just like Tamar was grafted into the line of Jesus, just like Rahab was grafted into the line of Jesus, just like Ruth was grafted into the line of Jesus, people who who were thought to be undesirable, unworthy to be a part of that, just like that, we have also been grafted into the line of Jesus. You see, now because he has come, we have salvation. Now because he has come, we can experience forgiveness and reconciliation with our Father, our Creator. See, this is what Jesus does, and this is the absolute ultimate gift, and I hope that we understand this. It's not about what you can necessarily contribute, or it is not about how how much of a screw-up you've been. It's about the power of the Lord and how he's able to redeem us. He's able to take a nobody and make him someone very important, and you never know. It could be that through you, the Lord is doing something amazing, and someone is going to come to saving grace. This is, as verse 18 says, how the birth of Jesus took place in this way, through messy people, through messy circumstances. Praise be to God that he's able to redeem us, that he's able to reconcile us to him, and that we're able to experience this. Here's the thing. We must make room. We must make room for the outcasts. Because the Lord has made room for us. You were an outcast. The Lord has made room for you. So we must make room for the outcast. See, we're unworthy. We're unqualified by our own, uh, our own efforts, hands down. We have fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us here has been righteous before him. Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 10 through 11 says, For if while we were enemies, while we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. His life means salvation. His life means reconciliation. His life is an expression of his love for us. And then it continues to say, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Guys, this is a beautiful gift. Merry Christmas. I hope that you value this, and I hope that you're able to extend this to others, those who you perhaps would consider to be outcasts, like you don't even want them around you. I know we all know people like that. I know we all know people that we would just wouldn't mind just pushing them away and saying, yeah, forget you. But the Lord didn't deal with us that way. He loved us, there's no greater love than he who gave his life up for, 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 for us who were enemies at the time, you know? And look at John 4.10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So the fact that Jesus came is an expression of love because that means that you don't have to be the sacrifice. That means that that debt that you owe has been paid. That means that you are now reconciled. That means that your wickedness, your wretchedness, is actually covered up by the blood of the Lamb, and it is his righteousness that, the, that God sees. That is a beautiful gift. That's why Jesus has come. This is what we must know. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. 
We do ask you, Father, that you would help us make room, Father, for those who we consider to be outcasts or undesirable, unworthy, Lord. For we too were unworthy, Jesus, but you have made a way for us to be redeemed and restored to you. Thank you, Father, for this beautiful gift. Thank you, Father, that everything that we are is meaningful. Thank you, Lord, that you did not forget us or or forsake us. Thank you, Jesus, that you use our trials, our sufferings. They, They are not wasted, Father, but they're actually intentional and meant for something greater. Help us not miss it. Help us welcome those, Father, who are perhaps undesirable into your family, as you have done for us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.